0: Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is, Friday, it is Friday, November the 16th, 2018. I had to think for a moment because last week I did my show on Thursday because of a scheduling conflict. Uh, and today, once again, I have a scheduling conflict, but I'm doing my show a little bit earlier than usual. Uh, I have a reunion tonight with a bunch of agents I have the privilege of working with at the INS for decades, And um, we have an annual reunion somewhere around the end of November as Thanksgiving approaches. And tonight's the night for all the old bums uh, that I worked with to get together. And, my gosh, it is breathtaking to see how old we've gotten, but it certainly beats the alternative. And on a somber note, I have to make note of the passing of one of my former colleagues, a gentleman by the name of Dennis McCarthy, who began his career several years after I did, and I had the privilege of working with him when he was fresh out of the academy. Dennis was one of the agents assigned to work at what came to be known as the Pile at Ground Zero, the World Trade Center that was reduced to a mountain of rubble by two airliners, and in working in that pile, looking first for survivors, there were none, and then human remains, he and so many other first responders were exposed to toxins that ultimately caused him to get cancer, and he passed away. Yet another victim of the terror attacks of 9-11. We keep hearing about the 3,000 who died on 9-11, but that was the day of the attack. So many more have died since. So many more are grievously ill, and yet the politicians, both parties, in Washington and elsewhere, refuse to learn the lessons that we must learn from what went wrong that enabled the terrorists to enter the United States. And so um, on that note, um, I want you to know that this evening I plan to speak quite a bit about the caravan of migrants as it is being optimistically described, uh, refugees described by some other dishonest journalists, to me, <clears throat> this is not a statement of xenophobia, a statement of reality based on truth. Uh, if you're familiar with me, you know that I was an INS agent for 30 years. I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I testified before I think we're up to 17 congressional hearings, although I doubt that I will be getting any more invitations. I have succeeded in pissing off enough politicians by doing something that they have a real problem with, telling the truth. Um, And we need the truth and we need reality and we need to stop being intimidated and bullied and pushed around by a bunch of greedy bums that don't give a damn about any American's lives only with the size of their bank accounts and the amount of power that they can accumulate for themselves, even when they get to be 85 years old and they stand on death's door because we are all here for a limited amount of time. And I am thinking specifically of Dianne Feinstein, who at one time, at one time, was a terrific senator. At one time, I was routinely on the phone with her uh, senior members of her staff, and she was there with us standing against the potential for terrorism. But she has jumped ship, has lost her mind, I think, and doesn't apparently give a damn about America's national security or the lives of our citizens. What a way to end your career in the Senate, Ms. Feinstein unbelievably these folks don't give a damn about the threats that they are exposing americans or or america to by throwing open our borders which are of course our first and last line of defense against transnational criminals international terrorists and fugitives it is clear that the democratic party stands with ms13 over the president of the united states but most of the republicans are no damn better That is why I wrote an article for the social contract. I called it, you know, America, the sanctuary country, because in point of fact, we don't have immigration law enforcement. When you have tens of millions of law violators blithely ignoring our laws and people massing on the Mexican border, and the fact that the president wants to stop it gets criticized by politicians from both sides of the aisle, and these nitwit supposed journalists who are propagandists, goodness gracious, we've lost our minds, we've lost our moral rudder. We don't stand for anything in America anymore except blind greed and corruption, and campaign contributions aren't campaign contributions. That is Orwellian for bribe. I was not, as a federal agent, allowed to take a cup of coffee. You know, we were instructed that if you knocked on someone's door, Not that they were the target of an investigation, but that perhaps they lived down the block from somebody who was being investigated and we were trying to seek their help. You know, have you seen cars coming and going at odd hours of the night? Would it be possible for you to grab a license plate number if something doesn't look right? Don't get yourself into a dangerous spot, but if you're able to spot that license plate or you see a pattern or order, here's my phone number, call me. And if we had that conversation, With this fine, upstanding member of the community who was not under a shadow of doubt, no investigation, we're just trying to get their help. If we knocked on the door and they offered us a cup of coffee, we were forbidden from accepting it. All that we were allowed to accept was a glass of water, and if we really wanted to be extravagant, maybe they could throw a couple of ice cubes in the water. Because the idea was that nobody should ever think that they have an in with a federal agent. But how much money changes hands when there's an election? And if you don't think that people that write the fat checks not only have expectations, but their expectations are met, well, if you don't understand that, go to a doctor and check for a flatline EEG because your brain isn't functioning. This is legalized corruption. And we as a country and all Americans in this country are paying one hell of a price. We're losing our lives and our livelihoods to the corruption of the politicians. Sanctuary cities, my goodness, this is all Orwellian. There's no political correctness here, folks. I am tired of hearing people talk about PC. Look, I am PC if you think it means that you don't use words that insults or impugns other fellow human beings, that I'm right there with that concept. But this isn't PC. This is right out of the pages of George Orwell, People think with words. When you can alter the words, you alter the understanding that people have of the issue, especially over time. The case that I always make for that is the use of the word immigrant rather than the term alien. My gosh, if you say alien, people flip out. They go crazy. They run for cover. They hire lawyers. They threaten you. Oh, my God, you said alien. Alien. Legally, the term "alien" simply means any person not a citizen or national of the United States. I dare you to tell me where the insult is there. You see, and that definition, by the way, is part and parcel of the Immigration and Nationality Act, the laws that I enforced and administered for the 30 years of my career with the with the old INS. The idea was to remove the term "alien" and replace it with the word "immigrant." so that everyone is an immigrant and we're a nation of immigrants, and if you dare suggest that we keep terrorists and child molesters and other criminals out of the country or people who want to take Americans' jobs, well, by God, you're anti-American because this is a country of immigrants and you're anti-immigrants. How many people have fallen for that nonsense? How many people? You know, uh, George Orwell, I keep quoting him, so let me read to you something, because this is really important. That I wrote about this in an article for the Social Contract, Language Wars, okay? But I, I, please go online and check out Language Wars at the Social Contract and my latest article, Sanctuary Country. But let me just read this to you. This is the easiest way of doing this. This comes from the appendix of Orwell's novel under the title of The Principles of Newspeak. This is where the author, George Orwell, explained this creation of his newspeak. The purpose of newspeak was not only to provide a medium of expression to the worldview and mental habits proper to the devotees of Ingsoc. Ingsoc, I N G S O C, by the way, folks, is the English Socialist Party under newspeak. So instead of the English Socialist Party, they say Ingsoc. Okay? So... These were the mental habits proper proper to the devotees of Ingsoc, but to make all other modes of thought impossible, it was intended that when new speak had adopted once and for all, and old speak—that's what you and I speak right now—that's what I'm speaking to you folks, old speak, right? And old speak, forgotten, a heretical thought—that is a thought diverging from the principles of Ingsot should be literally un. Unthinkable. That is, a thought diverging from the principles of IngSOC should be literally unthinkable, at least so far as thought is dependent on words. You see, you control words, you control thought. Its vocabulary was so constructed as to give exact and often very subtle expressions to every meaning that a party in capital letters, you see, the Communist Party, the totalitarian party that a party member could properly wish to express while excluding all other meanings and also the possibility of arriving at them by indirect methods. This was done partly by the invention of new words, but chiefly by the, by the, by the elimination of undesirable words and by stripping such words as remained of unorthodox meanings so as far as possible possible of all secondary meanings whatsoever. To give a single example, the word free still existed in Newspeak, but it could only be used in such statements as, this dog is free from lice or this field is free from weeds. It could not be used in the old sense of politically free or intellectually free since political and intellectual freedoms no longer existed, even as concepts, and were therefore of necessity nameless. You see, quite apart from the suppression of def- definitely heretical words, reduction of vocabulary was regarded as an end in itself, and no word that could be dispensed with was allowed to survive. Newspeak was designed not to extend, but to diminish the range of thought, and this purpose was indirectly assisted by cutting the choice of words down to a minimum. Think about Twitter, folks. You can communicate in 144 uh, uh, syllable or or character blurbs, all right? We eliminate all the unnecessary words. Forget about the niceties of language, the richness of language. You know, we, we have a wide vocabulary to express all sorts of thoughts. If you eliminate all those words and you eliminate all those thoughts, you have turned the populace into subservience, almost automatons. The word alien is gone, everyone's an immigrant. Let me give you an example uh, of how this could operate. Let's say you were told you could no longer use the word burglar or trespasser. We don't like those words. They're off limits. Okay? You think, well, what's the big deal? So one day, God forbid you come home, you find two people sitting in your living room. You didn't invite them in. They obviously broke into your house. Well, what do you call them? Well, supposing you were told not only can't you use the word burglar and you can't use the word trespasser, but anybody who is in your house, just like any alien in the country, is an immigrant. Anybody, no matter how they enter your home, has to be referred to as a guest. So what happens? You see these people in your living room. You didn't invite them in. It's obvious that they broke in. You run out into the street. You grab your cell phone, and you call the police, but now you have only one word you can use, guest. So you call the police. The operator gets on the phone and says, Operator 911, how can I help you? And you say, Operator, there are guests in my living room. And the operator says, So why are you calling us? You say, That's what we're doing with the word alien. We get rid of the word alien. Everybody's an immigrant. What are you complaining about? We're a nation of immigrants. You have someone sitting in your house. Well, anyone who gets access to your house is a guest. Aren't you hospitable? Don't you like to have guests visit? What's wrong with you? Why are you calling the police? This is the way that language is getting twisted. You have foreign nationals massing in Latin America heading north First of all, we're being lied to and told they're all Central Americans and they're starving and they're hungry and they're looking for a meal. We're very sympathetic people, Americans more than anybody. How many scams have been pulled on people? A family has their house burned to the ground and people claim that they are collecting money for that poor family and in reality they're pocketing the money. A police officer is shot to death. They put up collection boxes. Usually 85% of the money goes to the people that put up the boxes, not the police officer's family. And this is supposedly legitimate, all right? We are hoodwinked every day out of the week out of our money. It's about separating us from the money in our pockets. So we're, we're, we're told we're compassionate, and these are hungry people, and they're migrants. Well, we have American migrants also. Migrant farm workers migrate from farm to farm to farm and do the back-breaking farm work. And they're Americans, you see? So we have migrants heading for America. They just want to pick our lettuce, apparently. Why would you want them to not pick your lettuce? Meanwhile, watch the video. Look at the rioting. Look at how many police officers throughout Latin America has been attacked and injured by these migrants. the refugees. And when they interview them, what do they say? Oh, we're starving. We're looking for a better job. A better job doesn't qualify you for asylum. But it doesn't matter because they're going to apply for asylum. They're going to be allowed into the country, paroled in, not admitted, paroled. That's a fine distinction. Legally, it matters, because if you're admitted and we want to remove you, the burden of proof is on us. If you're paroled, the burden of proof is on the alien. But it doesn't matter. because They're going to disappear. And in this game of hide-and-seek, there's nobody to seek. Because we have no ICE agents, and the Republicans make damn sure we never have the funding for ICE agents. And so do the Democrats. In fact, the Democrats do the Republicans one better. They want to eliminate ICE altogether. But really, 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country, and half of them are being kept busy doing other than immigration work? And that was done by George W. Bush by design? What was the point? To eliminate immigration law enforcement, but in such a way where the American people didn't realize what was being done. They gutted immigration enforcement after 9-11. And I just wrote about this for Front Page magazine. When you see the article, if you take high blood pressure medicine – Take it before you read my article. I'm so tired of people telling me, oh, the Republicans are this and the Democrats are that. Both parties are in bed together, screwing the American public. Okay? This is one big, uh, you can call it what you want, but the point is we're the ones getting shafted by both parties. Think about it. Both parties stand up and say, well, we can't remove the millions who are here. And by the way, Harvard and MIT now say there's well over 20 million. Forget the 11 million. We've heard from all those brilliant think tanks. They've got a tank in their brain that's not full. Look, the the idea that we don't even know how many aliens are here, and everyone keeps saying 11 million for the last 10 years as people keep coming in, it's like the clown car at the circus. We don't know, and there's probably 30 or 40 million by now. But we're being told nothing to see here, folks. They just want to pick your lettuce and wash your dishes. Both. Both. Now, a lot of them are in a desperate situation. And what we're doing is make their situation back home even worse because we have allowed America to become the safety valve for Latin America, the safety valve for the rest of the world. We don't care because we want cheap labor so we can fire Americans and drive down the wages. People say, why are you a registered Democrat? And I am. I'm a labor guy. And traditionally, the Republicans were all about making sure – that every business owner got whatever he wanted. That's what they want. They want cheap labor. We'll give them cheap labor. How will we do it? We'll bring in foreign workers from the third world who are happy with third world wages, which in America means sub-poverty wages and conditions. The Republicans were on that side, and the Democrats used to be on the other side saying, You're hurting American workers. And one day, Chucky e. Schumer. And all the other clowns in the Democratic Party jumped up and said, wait a minute. We can get these people to vote for us, and we can get money from the same people that give money to the Republicans if we work with them to let all this cheap labor in. So immigration went from law enforcement to a delivery system that's more efficient than FedEx and UPS combined. And what does it deliver? It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor. And please don't tell me exploitation is compassion. Well, it delivers an unlimited supply of foreign students. Why in the world did we admit 152,000 Chinese STEM students last year when their programmers hack our computers every second of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year? They are hacking away at our computers, our government computers, our military computers, our intelligence computers, corporate computers, and even private computers. They hack away and hack away and hack away, and where are their programmers being trained? Right here at America's best schools. And they build their military, and they threaten us with the military when they created the artificial island in the South China Sea and illegally militarized it. And they rattle their sabers at us. This country that's most favored trade, right? They're our trading partner. And they rattle their sabers. And who designed their sabers? the engineers that we trained in our universities and then put to work working for American military contractors where they robbed us blind and continued to rob us blind every minute of every hour of every day, stealing our secrets. <laughs> and we bring more in, and we train them better so that their weapons will one day be better than our weapons. And then what are we planning to do? We are self-destructive. The communists said the capitalists will sell you the rope with which you will hang them, and we folks are having a fire sale on rope. And if you dare say these things, you're a xenophobe. You're a nativist. You're a racist. You're a bigot. How about you're sensible? This bullying tactic has worked, though, because most Americans are turning into cowards. Okay? And understand the issue. It used to be that if someone punched you in the nose when I was growing up in Brooklyn, you were expected to punch him back twice so he didn't do it again. Now if you defend yourself, you're liable to get arrested. And if your parents taught you to defend yourself, they're probably going to go to jail. So we've raised docile Americans. Don't defend yourself. Don't say anything. Don't do anything. We're going to eliminate the words in your vocabulary, and we're going to take from you the initiative to defend yourself even if you're attacked. Bullying is terrible. Let the government take care of the bullies for you because you shouldn't be doing it by yourself, God forbid. Don't you dare stand on your own two feet, America. Don't you dare. So we've taught Americans to back down, run for cover. George W. Bush, I don't know if you remember it. But when a bunch of Mexican drug dealers came across the border and they were armed, our National Guard stood strong and ran like crazy away from the intruders. And they had awards pinned on their chests for running away. Actually happened. This is what America is. We are all track stars and we run away from danger. We run away from danger. Never mind that the Democratic Party stands with the gang, stands with the cartels. Never mind that even as I speak to you, there's an individual by the name of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman sitting in a jail cell because he is on trial in Brooklyn in the Eastern District of New York for being allegedly allegedly the kingpin of the dangerous, violent Sinaloa drug cartel that moved at least 200 tons of cocaine into the United States. Never mind that. Never mind that the Sinaloa cartel has also moved heroin and marijuana and meth and all kinds of poisons into America. And where is the trial? In Brooklyn, New York. How far is that away from the Mexican border? Well, it's on the other side of the country because we are a country of 50 border states because when that garbage comes into the United States, they move it right into New York. Now, why in the world, why in the world, if you're running the Sinaloa cartel or any cartel, Would you set up shop in New York City, the city that has the most sophisticated, best trained, best equipped, greatest number of police officers? You would think that New York City is the last place you would want to do anything criminal because we have 37,000 cops in New York City. You watch the cop show on TV, you know, and some sheriff says, I'm calling for backup. He'll be here in 48 minutes. You know, right. Lots of luck. Well, that's pretty bad. In New York City, you call for backup. Within two minutes, there's 80 cops on a street corner, two helicopters overhead, and SWAT en route. New York City, why would you set up shop in New York City? You're a drug cartel. Why would you go to the city with the most sophisticated, best trained, best equipped, and largest police department, perhaps in the world? Well, it's easy, folks. Think about it. Besides the fact that New York hits the trifecta of border states, we share the border with Canada, we have seaports, We have international airports. We're a border state. Every state is. New York City in particular is a sanctuary city. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if the police arrest you, they are not allowed to tell immigration that you are in custody. Even if you entered the country after you were deported, even if you have a rap sheet a mile long and you have convictions for violent crime, So you're looking at 20 years in jail for reentry after deportation, but you will be protected from the mean immigration agents. Carmela Harris, a senator, actually, from what I read, I haven't seen the actual article. I just saw the headline, which made me sick. She grilled the head of ICE and, and, and equated ICE with the KKK, according to the headline. You have Governor Cuomo in New York State equating ICE or calling ICE agents thugs the second largest contingent of law enforcement agents assigned to the Joint Terrorism Task Force are immigration agents. Why? Because any foreign national who engages in terrorism is committing multiple violations of our immigration laws. And the cool thing about it is that if you're violating the immigration laws, you don't have to prove the person is a terrorist to arrest them. It's efficient. Al Capone committed murder and extortion and he ran prostitution and booze and you name it. And he did it and all they could bring him down for was tax evasion, but they got him off the street. Why wouldn't you take a weapon like immigration law enforcement and use it against the drug dealers? It's obvious they want the drugs to come into the United States. A good friend of mine, Everett Hatcher, DEA agent, was killed by a dirtbag by the name of Gus Faraci back in the 80s who thought, because he was an idiot, which is what mobsters are, that because Everett was black, That he must have been an informant, didn't understand that there were black agents at DEA, but Everett Hatcher, we knew him as Hatch, um, was was not only a, a, a DEA agent who had done amazing work as an agent. He was a close friend of mine. I was with him three hours before he took two bullets to the head. He had also served honorably with distinction in the Vietnam War. He was the father of two boys, the husband of his wife. Um, And he took two bullets to the head for this war on drugs. So they named the street outside DEA headquarters in New York for Everett Hatcher. Whoopee. War on drugs? Are you kidding me? This is all a magic act. This is blue smoke and mirrors, folks. If you wanted to eliminate the drugs, why aren't you running commercials like they did with cigarettes? Those cigarette commercials were very effective. Ask yourself. And cigarettes are legal. When was the last time you saw a good commercial about the dangers of heroin or meth or crack or cocaine or any of that garbage? No. What did we do? The worst heroin epidemic in the history of the United States last year, according to DEA, 63,000-plus people died of opiate overdoses. But what do we do? We legalize marijuana. Marijuana is a gateway drug to the hardcore stuff. Now, it doesn't mean that someone who smokes pot is going to start shooting up heroin. But I can tell you, having spent four years at DEA Unified Intelligence, having spent 10 years with the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, I frankly never, ever, ever, never, ever met anybody who had a drug problem who didn't start with pot. It's a gateway drug. We know it is. It's not a game. It's not a mystery. So at the time that we have this problem with opiate addiction, we legalize marijuana. And guess what? There's been studies done that show that the states or the cities that have legalized marijuana have higher incidence of traffic accidents and fatalities on the highway. Nobody cares about that. Who cares about the dead bodies? Are you putting money in the bank? That's what they care about. This is all about money. This is about money. It's not about America or Americans. This is the big con job being foisted on us by the politicians from both parties. Both parties have come to the agreement that we can't deport all these illegal aliens, so the only reasonable thing we can do is legalize them. So this has now become a debate. Should we give them a path to citizenship or, quote-unquote, only permission to work? Because we can't deport them all. So let me tell you what, and I think there's probably 30 or 40 million here illegally. But that's still a smaller number than the number of people who have driver's licenses and cell phones. Have you ever heard a mayor or a governor or a chief of police say, well, there's too many people with cell phones and driver's licenses to do anything about people who text while driving? Of course not. They have you convinced that if you're behind the wheel and you reach for the phone, SWAT will descend on your car and pull you out of your sunroof, right? Drunk driving. If they handle drunk driving the way we're handling immigration, they would, they would raise the blood alcohol level from 0.08 to 3.0. You can't be conscious at 3.0. What does that mean? You can't be behind the wheel. at 3, Under 3.0, you would be le- not legally drunk. So if you raise it to 3.0 and you declare anyone under that is not legally drunk, nobody who's legally drunk could have an accident because they wouldn't be conscious. And then you hold a press conference and announce what a success the law change has been because nobody legally drunk has ever been in an accident. No, they're in the emergency room because they're overdosing on alcohol, and they're suffering alcohol poison, and they're unconscious, you see? But that's not what they did because they really wanted to do something about drunk driving. So they went from 1.0 to .08, they enacted laws that increase the penalties for those people caught drunk driving. That includes seizing vehicles, taking away driver's licenses, hefty, 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 super hefty fines, which they're really like, because any way they can separate you from your money is a plus, and they'll put you in jail. And they have sobriety checkpoints. And they run massive ads, you know, if you're caught drunk driving, we're going to get you. Do they do that with illegal immigration? Absolutely not. So the Democrats and the Republicans tell the American people and the aspiring illegals around the world that we know we can't catch you, and sooner or later we're going to give you everything you want. In fact, if you're an illegal alien, we'll give you in-state tuition. If you're an illegal alien, we will protect you from the evil immigration agents. If you're an illegal alien or even if you have a green card and you commit a crime, we will lower the penalty and take from. It will no longer be a felony. It will be a misdemeanor. So it's that much harder to deport people with green cards who commit crimes. And we won't allow the ICE agents into the prisons. So even if you rape, even if you kill, we don't want you deported. That's how valuable you are to us. We love that you violate our laws. And so the people in the caravan have looked at how we value law violators and people who get in our face. So, What are they doing? Well, they're rampaging up through Latin America, and they aren't all Latin Americans. And I've written about this for Front Page Magazine. We know that Hezbollah is operating in close coordination with the drug cartels, moving drugs and people into the United States. Hezbollah is funded and trained by its parent, the government of Iran, with whom we are at odds over their nuclear program, and they're promising us a surprise for the president. And lo and behold, around the time they surprise us, up comes the caravan with thousands of people, think of it, if you will, as a mobile haystack with some very deadly needles in it, headed for the United States. And if the president fails to stop them, and I suspect the courts are going to order him to do nothing, mark my words, if the courts get away with it and if the president bows to the courts and these people are let in, you're not going to hear much more about caravans anymore because it's going to become a daily occurrence. It's going to become a daily occurrence. This will be the new norm. The new norm will be thousands and thousands and thousands of people streaming through Latin America into the Mexican border and being greeted with open arms, warm blankets, and, and, and hot drinks and beverages for all. Because this will become the new means of entering the United States. I was just on the Daily Ledger yesterday. And before my segment with Graham Rand, they interviewed this immigration lawyer who's down there, and she said, on the border, and she said, these people are following the law. They're coming into ports of entry, and they're presenting themselves and asking for asylum. That's not legally the way it's supposed to work, folks. You're supposed to go to a consulate or embassy and apply for a visa before you come to the port of entry. And they're not coming to the port of entry with documents. They're coming to the port of entry with a demand, let us in. And the courts are increasingly saying you have to let them in. You can't not let them in. We don't have a legal immigration system any longer. We are spending over $13 billion a year on customs and border protection. They employ more than 60,000 people. These are the Border Patrol agents and their support staff and the inspectors at ports of entry and their support staff and I began my 30-year career with the INS, in point of fact, as an immigration inspector assigned to Kennedy Airport. Our borders are our first and last line of defense. So we're spending 13 billion plus on customs and border protection. I don't know what the budget is for state department, but the people who issue the visas, but that's billions more, billions more. And so you have a legal system in place that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I was talking to my good friend Lou Barletta, who unfortunately lost his bid for the U.S. Senate because the Republican Party refused to help him. That's the only thing I could take away from what happened. He should have won that election. But, of course, the Republicans would not want Lou Barletta in the Senate. You just know that they wouldn't because he doesn't believe in globalism, and that's a problem because they do. And I remember one day I was talking to Lou because our habit was that when he would be driving down to D.C. or back from D.C. to his home in Pennsylvania, we'd get on the phone. He has a hands-free thing in his car, and we would chat for an hour. So one day I got him to laugh so hard, he said, my God, I almost have to pull the car to the side of the road. I'm laughing that hard. Because I said to Lou, if you want to think about the immigration system, here is an analogy for you to think about. Because I'm a big fan of Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. In fact, when I was up at DEA, my nickname was Roadrunner because I was pretty good at staying up with the people we were surveilling by vehicle. No matter how fast they went, they couldn't lose me. And so I love Roadrunner cartoons. So picture Roadrunner knocking on a door in the middle of the desert, and the desert is standing there in the middle of nothing, and Roadrunner is on the other side of the door while Wiley e. Coyote is banging away. I think I said Wiley e. Coyote. Imagine Wiley e. Coyote knocking on the door, and Roadrunner won't let him in in the middle of the desert and instead of just walking around the silly door in the middle of the desert you know dummy wily coyote super genius is stuck there can't get in that's what we're doing to the immigration system the people that want to abide by the law are given every hurdle every impediment possible but the people who run the border get treated like royalty during one of my early congressional hearings, I said that you only get one opportunity for a first impression. For millions of people around the world, the first laws that they come into contact with when they deal with the United States are America's immigration laws. We have taught the world that in America, violations of law are not just tolerated, but rewarded and welcomed and appreciated. Is that really the message we want to send the world? You have lawful immigrants, and you have illegal aliens that are being called immigrants. So today, when you talk about somebody being an immigrant, immediately the thought is, oh, my God, the guy's an illegal alien. He ran the border. What a dirtbag. No, we're talking about a lawful immigrant. Yeah, but, but immigrants all run the border, don't they? And no one seems to realize that a million people every year come to America from other countries from around the world, and they are lawfully admitted, given green cards that signify that they're lawful immigrants, And they are immediately placed on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. Nobody knows that. I had an argument with a police inspector from the NYPD. He's also a lawyer. His wife is a lawyer. And we got into a discussion. He said, the problem with immigration is they just don't let anybody in. I said, where are you getting that from? He said, don't you read the papers? Don't you listen to the news on the TV? I said, no, I try to avoid it as much as I can. I said, how many immigrants do you think we let in and give green cards to? He said, from what I'm reading in the papers, because he didn't practice immigration law. He was in a different area. He said, I'm going to guess a couple thousand. I said, inspector, what would you say if I told you it was a million a year? He almost choked on his soup. He said, how many? That can't be. So I sent him the article, and the guy was flummoxed. He didn't know what in the world to say to me. He said, how is this possible? Why does the media say that there's no other way of getting here? Now, this was years ago. This was shortly after 9-11. It's only gotten worse since. We have a legal system that is the most generous in the world, but no matter how many we let in legally, the Kamala Harrises and the Chuck Schumers and the Nancy Pelosi's of the world want more. And don't you, for a heartbeat, think that the Republicans are much better. Bob Goodlatte is the outgoing chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He is an immigration lawyer. He told me he was when I met with him a few years ago. Why do you think they want to legalize all these aliens? Because these aliens are clients for immigration lawyers. The immigration system has gone from a law enforcement system designed to protect American Americans to a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable foreign labor, foreign students, foreign tourists, and clients for immigration lawyers. That's what it has become. And look at the consequences our school system is stretched to breaking. Hospital emergency rooms look like the waiting room at Grand Central Station. You can't see a doctor for hour after hour because the illegals use the emergency rooms as their primary health care provider. And look at what it's done to real estate. If you own real estate, you're making out like a bandit. If you're a realtor, you're making more money than you've ever made in your life. In New York, houses that were going for a couple of hundred thousand a few years ago were going for a million dollars today, and here's why. And there was a, a piece on TV, a documentary. China, Russia, other countries are sending us their gazillionaires, and they're buying up condos in Manhattan. They don't even live there. They are just socking away real estate because they have so much money to play with because they're beating the snot out of us in the international market. So a condo that might have gone for $2 million in Manhattan is going for $30 million. Americans can't buy it, you know. A million-dollar condo, if the husband and wife are professionals and they're, they're making a half a million a year, sure, they buy a million-dollar condo, a $2 million, a $3 million dollar condo. Who can afford a $35 million or a $40 million dollar condo? They can't. They move out of Manhattan because they can't keep up with the cost. And they move into neighborhoods, and they buy up the townhouses, which drives up the price. Well, the people that were there, this is, you know, the food chain. They get bounced. They can't keep up with this, so they leave. They move into the middle-class neighborhoods, and they jack up those prices. So between the influx of money by these folks, the flooding of America with people that don't have any money at all, and they will live five people, you know, in in a one-bedroom apartment or or ten people in a one-bedroom apartment – the quantity of housing disappears. The value of real estate goes through the roof. The banks are making out like bandits, but guess what? We've never had more homeless people in New York City or San Francisco or elsewhere than we do now. And when you take a family and force them into homelessness, very often they lose custody of their children. So this is destroying the fabric of America. But it's okay because the millionaires who are starving, I mean, how do you get by on 50 or 100 million? These poor people, I'm going to get up a collection for them, want more money. You know, The guy that has three mansions, what does he need more than anything in the world? A fourth mansion. The guy that has a Learjet, what does he need? He needs a Lockheed Jetstar. The guy with the Lockheed Jetstar needs a 757. How in the world can you do it? you take America and you use it like a cash cow. You drive Americans into poverty, you flood America with drug money, and you destroy the country. And what they don't understand, because they're very greedy, remind me of the cancer. Cancer has an insatiable appetite for nutrients. In fact, cancer, mindless as it is, is able to force the body that it has intact to surround it with blood vessels so it can bathe in nutrients. And it does really, really well as it starves off the healthy tissue until the day comes when it is so successful that it kills its victim and guess what happens to the cancer? It gets buried with the person it killed. It doesn't survive. If these rich SOBs destroy America waiting in the wings It's not like, well, next year Canada takes over. It's not like the World Series. Well, so the Yankees didn't win this year. No big deal. No, no, no. Waiting in the wings, boys and girls. Iran, Russia, China. That's who's waiting in the the wings. China is a communist country. And look at what Google has done with China, these sweetheart deals. Google did not want to help the U.S. military on moral ground. Oh, they're such decent people. I want to be just like Google when I grow up so decent, so wonderful. Right. But they've gone to China and China said, if you want to do business here in China, then you have to work with us and you have to censor whatever people are searching for on the internet. And we want to know what, who's searching for what, because if people search for things, they're not supposed to, they pay a hell of a price in China. And Google is working cooperatively with the Chinese government. Maybe it's a way of, understanding how to do these things so it can ultimately be done in the United States because there have been articles written about how searches on these search engines twist things in a a political direction. So if you try to look something up about the president, you're going to get the negative stuff, but not the positive stuff and so on. This is thought control. Go back to what I read to you about George Orwell, the elimination of words, the changing of thoughts, The way we manipulate one another by language, that's what's happening, folks. And so they use the term caravan of migrants. You know, I I almost think of Barnum and Bailey, you know, coming through the tunnel with the elephants and so forth. Of course, they're no longer in business, but it was a big day when the circus came to town. So the circus is coming to town on the border. And among them are potentially terrorists and fugitives. And by the way, I was on Dana Loesch's terrific program over at NRA TV. Her show is known as Relentless. You got to check it out. I think Dana's fabulous. And so they interview this person who says, this guy, why are you coming to America? Right? He's a refugee in waiting, folks. Remember? He's a hungry guy. And I couldn't believe what he said. I'm listening in my earpiece. I did the interview by Skype. I almost fell out of my chair. And what does he say? And I provided the link, by the way, to my interview at NRA TV if you go to my notice about the show today. He is coming to America. Are, Are you ready for this? Hold on to your seat. He wants a pardon for the crime for which he was convicted. And what was the crime for which he was convicted? Attempted murder in the third degree. If he sets foot in America as someone who's been convicted of attempted murder in the third degree, he is what is legally known as an aggravated felon and faces up to twenty years in jail for reentry. Migrant. Migrant. There was a story in a newspaper that ran about a woman who said, Oh yes, I was previously deported, but I need the money, so I'm coming back and this is my chance. You were previously deported, you're coming back. They didn't say if she was a criminal or not a criminal. But most of the people who get deported are criminals. So she's coming back. Migrant. That's why I call this a caravan of aspiring illegal aliens. And Bill Maher, the genius rocket scientist that he is, accused the president of being a liar. Boy, if someone had said that about Mr. Obama, he probably would have had a cow. But... Where the president or his children or his wife are concerned, they're all fair game because he's so despicable in their world. So he turns around and says, The president is a liar. These poor migrants are coming to America. They just want a meal. But what does a millionaire like Trump or a billionaire like Trump know about being hungry? You know, that was the kind of statement he made. Again, The president has access to information when he gets his daily briefing. If you look at the congressional testimony, this is all open-source material. Open-source, for those of you not familiar with the terminology, means that this is information that is available to anybody who looks it up. There's classified confidential material. You have to have a security clearance and a need to know in order to access it. Open-source material means, you know, Charlie Brown can go to the Internet, punch in the thing, and bango, there's the document read the testimony from the congressional hearings about the certified subject matter experts on Latin America who have been warning for decades now, a couple of decades, that there are terrorists operating in Latin America, the tri-border region of Brazil, where Brazil abuts with Argentina and Paraguay, Hamas and Hezbollah, also a client of Iran, operating in Latin America, probably ISIS and al-Qaeda for all we know. We know there have been cases, and I've written about them, of people from the Middle East, Pakistan, going into Brazil, getting residency, and then smuggling aliens from terror-sponsoring countries through Brazil into the United States. Why Brazil? Well, it could be coincidence, but again, there are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. We know that Hezbollah is operating throughout Latin America, trying to extend Iran's influence all over Latin America. They're destabilizing governments and they're smuggling drugs into the United States. 63,000 people died of opiate overdoses last year. That's a big number. Have you seen it making headline news? 63,000 people is the equivalent of a football or baseball stadium being blown up. Now, if terrorists blew up a stadium and killed 63,000 people, it would make headlines all over the world and people would go nuts. But 63,000 people, a few at a time, a few each day, are dying of opiate overdoses. They're as dead as anybody killed by a bomb or a bullet. And I'm sure that when Iran and our enemies are able to move that level of drugs into America, they're happy. China has been moving drugs into the United States. Do you not think that they're happy to see Americans dying? This is an act of aggression against America. And when the president says we have to secure the border to prevent the drugs and criminals from coming into the United States, they scream that he's a racist and a xenophobe and a bigot and he belongs in the basket of deplorables. The basket of deplorables is where we ought to be sticking anybody who doesn't think we should be keeping criminals, terrorists, and narcotics out of the United States. That's deplorable. But the president looks at the situation, sees the amount of drugs coming in, He sees the damage it's doing to young people, the damage it's doing to America, the billions and billions and billions of dollars that's draining out of our economy that funds the cartels and funds terrorist organizations, and he says we have to stop it, and he's a terrible person for wanting to stop it. After 9-11... There was no shortage of politicians who stood in front of the microphones and TV cameras, thumped the podium, and demanded to know why nobody connected the dots. Why did they not connect the dots? What is wrong with these people? There was hearing after hearing, and the focus was always the same. Why didn't they connect the dots? So here we have people who are connecting the dots. These witnesses at these hearings, the facts that are in the newspapers. And if you connect the dots, you are attacked as a xenophobe and a bully and a terrible person, and all you're saying is, but we need to stop the drugs from flowing into America. My good friend, Edward Hatcher, gave his life trying to keep those drugs from coming into America. What was the point? What was the point when clearly the politicians want the narcotics to flood into this country? The banks are making money hand over fist, Banks are moving companies. If you move from New York to Chicago, you call up a moving company and say, okay, I've got five rooms of furniture, I've got a big piano, I've got a couch, I've got this, I've got that, and then they want to know just two things. Are there elevators in either building, and how many miles are we going to move it? And then they charge you for the moving. Banks move money the same way. They don't care where the money comes from. They don't care if the money is the result of a a prostitute working in a brothel or a surgeon working in an operating room or a drug dealer who just did a drug deal for five kilos of heroin. They take the money and they move it and they get a piece of the action. They're everybody's silent partner. And the more drugs that pour into America, the more money that gets removed from America and the more money that the banks make, the more money that the, that Wall Street and real estate that launder the money make. If you want to talk about dirty business, it's the drug trade. Because it leads to death. It leads to violent crimes. It leads to wrecked lives and wrecked families. It leaves children without parents. It pushes American kids into, into foster care. It reverberates through our economy, but in no greater place than among America's minority communities. And the politicians will make these great speeches in these neighborhoods, these tough neighborhoods, if they don't care about stopping the flow of drugs or the gangs. Nancy Pelosi took umbrage, big-time umbrage that President Trump dared to call members of MS-13 animals. I actually had a problem also because I like animals. My favorite bumper sticker says the more people I meet, the more I love my dog, which is true, by the way. But Nancy Pelosi was upset because President Trump called MS-13 animals. They have, uh, I forgot the term she used, but but the idea was they're they're godlike, you know. They're they're God's children, you know. How could he say this about God's children? MS-13 folks kill and rape children. Their slogan is kill, rape, control. And who are they killing and raping and controlling? Teenagers latino children in the ethnic immigrant latino communities but they have the spark of divinity that was the term she used the spark of divinity ms13 this is delusional this is delusional what blows my mind is that there are americans who are, are, are decent smart people but they have fallen under this hypnotic trance of the democratic party they have fallen for the bs and the lies and the propaganda and they don't seem to understand what the long-term implications are for America or Americans if we can no longer control who comes into our country or what they bring to our country, including narcotics and potentially weapons of mass destruction. We are setting ourselves up for terror attacks. We're setting Americans up for violent crime, and, and, and we are disincentivizing American kids to go to school because student loans are the second biggest form of personal indebtedness in America, And when kids come out of school with those degrees, frequently they can't get jobs within their chosen professions because they are being displaced by foreign workers in third-world countries who are happy to settle for third-world wages and working conditions. This isn't a left-right issue. This is an American issue. But we've become so stupid and so gullible. And I have to tell you, it's on both sides of the aisle. When I write articles for front page, I, I see all this language about the Democrats, you know, all these negative things about the Democrats, and they're ignoring that the Republicans have contributed to this disaster. That Ted Cruz refers to, to, you know, this notion that we're going to bring in the world's best and brightest so America can lead. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a name for the world's best and brightest. We call them Americans. Both parties have done this to us. And if you folks out there are going to keep on thinking in terms of Democrat versus Republican, you're being snookered. This is a con game. This is a con game. Both sides are against us. When you go into vote, it's a matter of heads they win, tails we lose. And the sooner the American people come to understand the betrayal of America by both parties, the better we will be. We need to be out there, and we need to call our elected representatives, so-called, because they don't represent us. They represent the people that write the checks. And they need to learn from us that we are not the dummies that they hope that we are. We need to wake up. We need to wake up our neighbors. We need to have honest conversations before we really go over the edge. We're close now. We are close now. The risks that we face because our politicians are so corrupt that, for them, the idea of securing borders and enforcing our immigration laws, which, by the way, have nothing to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. It's about keeping out aliens with dangerous communicable diseases or mental illness, aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human traffickers, drug smugglers, aliens um, who uh, have been previously deported and so forth. And then we get to aliens who would likely become a public charge or aliens who would displace American workers. If you think that that's wrong, get help. Get help. Think about it. Bars have bouncers, Congress has the sergeant at arms, but Americans aren't entitled to be protected from people who gain access to our country and who seek to do harm to us. After 9 11, I testified at a hearing that was held six months after 9-11 about how Muhammad Atta, the ringleader of 9-11, and Marwan al shea one of his cohorts, had been granted authorization to attend flight school, of all things, six months after the attacks. Everyone knew they were dead. Everyone knew they were terrorists. And These members of Congress were so indignant. Both parties, when an alien enters the United States, and they violate the immigration law. We need the resources to track them down, arrest them, and get them the hell out of there before they can kill us. I sat there impressed at that hearing. I said, finally, they've woken up. And today, Kamala Harris equates ICE with the KKK. Cuomo equates ICE with a bunch of thugs. We've lost our minds, folks. We, the people, need to take back control of our government. It's the work Americans must do. Thanksgiving is coming. I hope that uh, I'll be able to do my show. We're not sure about scheduling. But in any event, there is much that we as Americans have to be thankful for. But please be part of my bucket brigade of truth. Please let your friends and neighbors know about this program, about the articles that I write. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Only Americans can take back control of this wacky government. But the only way to do it is if we emphasize that which as Americans make us most similar, not which makes us different this emphasis on differentiating americans is toxic it's a divide and conquer strategy and it goes against the notion of e pluribus unum out of many one as americans irrespective of race religion ethnicity the superficial issues as americans we have so much in common we need to stand together to protect this country and protect it not just for ourselves but for our children and protect it for our children's children Thank you so much for listening. See you again soon. So long.